right? It's just not about a separate customer. It's the interconnectedness of those customers influencing decision-making. That's what we're trying to understand. Understanding the HCP in context is when we can make magic happen. And that's what the context stream does. Welcome to Transforming Biopharma by ZS. I'm Maria Whitman, and this episode is part of our series on the future of pharma's commercial model. A number of you have been asking me about our point of view about where is the future commercial and operating model for pharma heading. In fact, as I've been talking at conferences this year, many of you have walked up to me and said, Maria, get on the podcast and tell us more about this vision and why we should be doing this now. So that's what we're going to do today. And in order to do that best, I brought along with me some ZS leaders who have been instrumental in developing our point of view on what that next generation looks like. So joining me today, I have Carolyn Morrow. She's a leader in our strategy and transformation group with a focus on marketing transformation. Namita Powers, who leads our customer models at practice area and is also one of our key leaders in CAM strategy. Srihari Sarangan, who leads our commercial and MarTech solutions practice, and Karthik Surirajan, who leads our commercial AI practice. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Maria. Thanks, Thanks Maria. Awesome. Okay, so let's actually just start with why now. I think we've been talking about changing the commercial and operating model for pharma for a very long time. In fact, as long as I've been in this industry, about 25 years. So why is now the right time? I think there's just a lot of pressure on the model right now. You know, when I talk with leaders across the industry, we're hearing a lot of themes of things like do more with less, grow without growing, transform for growth. And there's this strong tension with wanting to make sure that we're, we're not dropping our engagement with our customers because we know it's so hard to cut through the noise. We, we pulled some stats and we found that the average customer today is getting 1.4 touch points per hour with pharma. There's just so much noise. We're, we're interrupting them constantly. But I think the reason it's come to a head is when we look to the future, when we look to the pipeline, the number of products that are launching in the next few years we can't just keep interrupting in that same way because there's no more time in that poor hour, uh, doctor's hour to get more touch points in. And so we have to find a better way to connect with them. Yes. In fact, you know, I was looking at the ZS data the other day, and when you look at the average HCP, they're receiving more touch points than they were even pre-pandemic. That is a lot coming from pharma. Go ahead, Karthik. Yeah, I think um, the why now also has to do with AI. AI is now more mature. We don't just have to think about AI as something that will tell you what people are going to do. You can also understand why they do what they do and how you can influence them in better ways. This comes from leveraging data in different ways. Go beyond structured data and look at unstructured data. Go beyond large data sets and look at small data sets that you collect directly as feedback from your customers. Bring all of this together to see how can you create a deeper understanding of the customer in terms of their needs, their beliefs, their preferences. So you actually have a holistic understanding of each individual customer. This is actually something that can be, sorry, I should say this actually is a reality. And what I love about that, Karthik, is not just about influencing, but it's about adding more value in those interactions. So we're not just interrupting, 
saying the same thing over and over. That's why our customers are closing their doors. We're not offering them value. But now we have some better tools at our disposal to figure that out. Very true. Yeah, I think the other aspect of this is the evolution of technology, right? So we, in the last five years and in the last year alone, if you look at the last mile customer engagement technologies, they've all become much smarter, much more intelligent, based on that AI packaging that, that Karthik was talking about. Now, what does this do? What this does is, A, it enables us to have a fairly comprehensive view of the audience, the profile, the context of how they're operating, um, and it enables you to give these personalized content and channel recommendations near real time or real time in some situations, uh, which absolutely necessitates a transformation of how pharma thinks about customer engagement. Because as you look at channels like web, media, digital apps, portals, um, and of course your traditional email and field reps, these are these channels are all going to undergo a significant amount of transformation based on this business AI infusion into the platforms. One of the things that really strikes me about this is just rep access to physicians. Uh, it just continues to decline, but we spend so much money on this incredibly inaccessible resource. I think we have a stat like over 60% of SGNA goes towards brand marketing and sales reps on this increasingly inaccessible customer segment. And it just feels like something's got to give. So our current model is hitting a value ceiling. Our customers are expecting more, and we are recognizing that we do have to deliver better on customer experience, but most importantly, we actually have technology and AI that enables it right now. So not only does something have to give, but we actually do have the tools and technology to make that happen now. So let's let's start thinking about that future. And I like to do this thought exercise with a number of my clients, but let's imagine for a second for a second, that we could design a future commercial and operating model around just one customer. One customer is all we got. Our whole model can support just that one person in achieving what they need to achieve and advancing them through their problem set and advancing our objectives with them. Um, what is it that you would each want to know about your customer if you only had one? Carolyn, let's start with you. I think I would want to know how they think about their patients. So like, do they treat them all the same? Do they spend time with them? Is it shared decision-making? What really matters to them as they're making those decisions with their patients? You know, I think we get some of that today through market research, but it's at this really aggregated level. And I would love to unpack that at the individual level. Individual level. I think that's where I would double click on as well. As every physician thinks about what treatment to make, I'll go back to the point that Carolyn made earlier as well, which is there's a lot of products in the market for many diseases today. How do they sort through all these products and create that individual decision for that individual patient? What mental shortcuts do they take? How do they actually create these mental shortcuts over time? That's something that I would like to know. So you're really getting to the crux of what is driving their decisions around their patients, around you know what products they're choosing or what treatment paths they're choosing? Shuhari, what about you? What would you want to know? You know, in addition to what I think Arthur and Carolyn mentioned, the biggest thing that I've always wondered about is what do the reps know about the doctors? We all know that reps are problem solvers. We all know that 
you know, reps talk about they talk about a lot more than just you know safety and efficacy details with the doctors. Uh, and they're actively solving problems for the practice, actively solving problems for the nurse practitioners and the PAs in the practice, and of course, for the doctors. And the question is, how do we get that information back? How do we understand how to leverage that information in HQ to potentially guide the next set of actions for, for that customer? I think that's a critical part of how we understand behaviors and context for uh, for for doctors and doctors' offices. I want to go there further, but we're going to hold for a second on on how do we actually get that. But that's a really cool thought. Like, what is actually happening? Can we get back the observations, the emotions they're feeling, the way customers are responding to what we're doing from the reps, and not just from the reps, but from everybody in our organization who's touching them? Namita, what about you? Yeah, I'll tell you what I, I'm not interested in knowing, which is the quantity of interactions that a single rep might have with, you know, my customer, <laughs> which I think pharma is <laughs> way too overly focused on. Um, you know, what what I would care a lot to know about is um, just their workflows, their systems, their context. So getting to the, the points around decision making, so much of their decision making is actually um, in a broader setting than their, you know, own attitudes and beliefs, right? They're, they're, they're motivated by different things. They've got workflows and systems and rules they have to follow and protocols. And I just think that that's a huge part of um, an HCP situation. Um, and I'd really want to understand that workflow in that context. And to Sriheri's part, point, you know, the rep knows a lot of this stuff. The MSL knows a lot of this stuff. Like, you know, all of this stuff sits in in our team's heads and pharma is so good at data collection and we're really bad at data connection. Like we don't pull that stuff out and do something with it. Um, and that's what I'm really uh, like, I just think that there's such an opportunity, um, you know, when, when pharma thinks about all of this stuff, they think about it in silos. We don't extract it. We don't use it. Um, what I and we feel like, oh, it's not perfect because we don't have it about every single customer in our universe. But if we had it for one customer, we could do something great with that customer. And that's a mindset shift we want to get to. What we're saying here is if we only had one customer, we'd want to know what really drives them, what motivates them, what is their why. And this is important because customer experience is increasingly centered on who we are, what we need in the moment. It's not about grouping us into segments. In segments, you know, we're averaging away the individual in us. So how does pharma catch up? Pharma that's so used to operating more on segmentation, how do we be part of a truly individualized engagement vision? Our ZS vision of the future commercial model allows us to do that because we're creating a North Star that is behavior changing, personalized customer engagement at scale. Let me say that again. We want to create behavior-changing, personalized customer engagement at scale. You know, this is actually a vision under which Omnichannel, the concept of Omnichannel was born, but have we achieved Omnichannel in its true sense? The truth is at the moment, we haven't. We've made a lot of incremental advancements. We've built amazing capabilities around, you know, non-personal promotion in Omnichannel, but we have a fundamental challenge preventing us from really achieving behavior-changing personalized engagement at scale. And that is that in our organization, everyone and no one owns the customer. Think about it. It's a fundamental problem. How many individuals touch a customer from our organization at any given time? And how 
Are we truly orchestrating that to create a singular experience and one that is driving forward a relationship with them? It's not. So how how do we think about this? How do we solve for this? You know, Namita, you and I were talking about this the other day. I, I love using the analogy of Hell's Kitchen. This is the Gordon Ramsay show. For those of you who don't watch it, you know, this is a kitchen kitchen competition show. There's two teams and they're, you know, fighting out dinner service, who can do it better. And Gordon Ramsay's firing someone at the end. Now there's a lot of chaos in this show, but here's what to watch for. What makes a winning team? You know, they have someone at the front who's making sure everyone is hearing, observing, modulating their own approach to what they're doing. How many minutes out is the main? It's two minutes out. Okay. Everyone else adjust. Are you listening to this person over here who needs an extra minute? Let's adjust again. You know, this head chef is making sure the food is perfect. It smells right. It tastes right. It's plated right. And it's done all at the right time. So that goes out to the customer in the best way possible. And the customer can actually eat it at the right time. That's the team that wins. The team that listens to each other, adjusts with each other, and can reach the right thing at the right time. Pharma doesn't have a head chef. That's what we need to solve for. It's collectively someone responsible for creating, understanding, acting on the richness, the complexity of each individual HCP, each organized customer, each patient. That's the real transformation. Now, how do we do it? There are many steps. It's going to be a long journey, but there's three things we need to do first. And we're going to talk about those today. Number one relates to how we understand our customers. We have to collect and connect the rich information, the sophisticated data available to us so we can address them where they are in context. This can be an important word. The second is we have to solve for the head chef problem. We can't have so many touch points against the customer and not have a way to effectively orchestrate it from within. And third, we need to break down our over-reliance on the rep. Now, before everyone goes crazy, reps are not going to go away. I know we have this conversation all the time, but each channel has to learn to play to their strengths. We have to put our most valuable foot forward in any given moment with our customers. So let's take these one by one. We'll start with this first one around sophisticated understanding of our customers. And we have a vision or an idea called context stream. So Namita, tell us the quick summary of how you think about Context Stream. The Context Stream is really about understanding our customers as individuals holistically. Right now, we use a lot of proxies for understanding our customers because it's easier. It's what we have. For example, we use a customer segment as a proxy for what we really want to know, which is the unique attitudes, behaviors, beliefs, shortcuts of an individual customer. We use Net Promoter Score as a proxy for the textured customer feedback that a customer has about their experience with us. We use specialty and certifications as a proxy for their unique training and nuanced expertise. We'll use call activity data as a proxy for textured, detailed call notes or information our field has about an individual customer. And we do it because it's easier. That data is structured and quantifiable, and we have it for the full universe of our customers. But like I said earlier, we have to get over that. Even if we have this unstructured, messy information for only a, even a handful of customers, it would help us do better with those customers. Now, usually at this point in the conversation, people stop and say, well, who's the customer? Which customer are you talking about? And aren't we being overly HCP focused? But my answer to them is usually it's not about the different customers in silos, right? When you truly understand the HCP in context, you realize, well, the HCP has patients. Those patients live in a geography. That geography has a zip code. That zip code has certain social determinants of health. There's regional payers influencing that geography. The HCP is affiliated to health systems. Those health systems have pathways and protocols to follow. 
right? It's just not about a separate customer. It's the interconnectedness of those customers influencing decision-making. That's what we're trying to understand. Understanding the HCP in context is when we can make magic happen. And that's what the context stream does. That's great. Karthik, can you take us deeper? The context stream is about truly understanding our customers at an individual level, not about our product, but about the customer, what their needs are in term, in the context of their patients, in the context of their practice, in the context of how they treat, in the context of what scientific aspects they're interested in, in the context of their expectations, and in the context of their professional needs. Phew, that's a lot. Can we get there? <laughs> I think we can. Let's bring this to life a little bit, right? How do you address that context? To do that, how do you learn that context? Bring in different forms of data. Not everything is complete. You may not be able to observe all of this for every individual physician. For some, you may be able to, but for many other attributes, you're not able to observe this data at an individual physician level. So imagine this big matrix where the holes are properly filled for many features. And then there are holes where there are gaps, where you have data for some physicians, whether it's through market research or from the reps, where you have some of this data. How can you use the power of AI to infer this for all the physicians? That's where basically you're building the context, right? So fill the holes, create a holistic understanding of not just the what, but also the why. Why do they have this need and what can I do to address that need? That's where AI comes in and the context comes in. Of course, this requires a lot of the tech components as well. Shri, do you want to chime in on the tech and the data pieces for this? Absolutely. You know, as an industry, we've over-indexed on collecting the what's. We've, 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 you know, we've gone to data vendors, we've gotten data on sales, performance, engagement, and all those things are the what's, which, uh, which, which are relevant, but not the most important to understand the why's. I think the, in order to understand the why's, you have we radically rethink and reinvent how we think about data collection, data connection, and derivation. Um, our data collection, as an example, has to be more comprehensive. We have to take into account some of the data pipelines that we're missing today. For example, uh, you know, a way to compliantly collect rep uh, detailing and discussion data. Um, you know, way to collect office workload and dynamics data, right? Which you don't, which you don't really have a great window into. Um, Real-time engagement with web and other sort of pull media properties. Uh, the scientific and medical profiles, as an example. Um, public data sources around sunshine payments and things like that, um, SDOH data around determinants of health uh, for, the, for the populations that the doctor manages. I think the next level of competitive differentiation in the market is going to be not just how do you win on your product, but how are you creating that unique data set that no one else in the market has about your customers? And that's how organizations are going to win. What we're essentially saying is we need to form a data stream that gets as close as possible to full understanding of the various dimensions of a singular person. And almost doing that, getting more comprehensive about every single individual is more important than having complete data sets that only goes so deep, but stretch across all of our customers, right? So, so we have to be looking for data collection that gets us the richness at a singular person level. We need to be finding ways to connect that data together 
in, in ways that we haven't done before. And I think there is a compliance challenge here, but it's one that is overcomable around really pulling from the different functions and places in our organization and saying, yes, this data can stitch together. And yes, we can extrapolate from it. Um, you know, whether it's from medical or clinical or commercial, it just has to be done in the right way. So data connection, data collection, and then, you know, we can project what we don't know. But I think the most important part is the democratization of that data back into the organization in a way that allows us to act on it. And Carolyn, this is where I think what you just said is so important that who has the data in the right way is going to have the competitive advantage, but it's not just having the data, it's acting on the data. And one of the people who asked to act on the data is the head chef. And so I, I do think while we if we can do context stream, we can more holistically understand our customers, but then we need someone to do something with that information. So let's reimagine marketing for a second. Yeah, as the marketer at the table, of course, I think that marketing can offer so much more to the organization and to customers than it does today, right? When, it, when you break it down, the role that marketing plays today is a pivotal role. It, it's about understanding, it's defining, it's communicating product value. And, and I believe that all that work is super essential, but it's also, it's not enough. And I think one of the things that it creates is it creates this real anchor back in product ways of thinking. And now I think is the time for marketing to step up and play that bigger role of not just showing up for the product for the organization, but also showing up for the customer. Um, and, and I think that a key component is starting to build out more of a practice around what customer strategy is. So what do I mean by that? Well, I mean things like, what is the best route of engagement with our customer? How are we making sure that we're not just interrupting but we're showing up in that right way at the right time with actual value through the right content. And I think right now we still see that strong tension in our organization where the marketer really wants to deliver for the product because that's what they're being held accountable for, um, but while also trying to show up for the customer. And we need to resolve that. Now, how do you resolve it? Well, I think that to break that tension, we actually have to bifurcate the practice of, mar of marketing um, and we have to break it into these two components. And that means that I think one of the first steps is going to be creating new roles and tasks within marketing. We're gonna have people who it is their mission, their objective to continue to do all the great solid work that we do today around product strategy. And that's still gonna be part of the core. Um, but we also need to add to the mix customer engagement strategists, you know, people who have that really strong channel and content acumen and people who are charged in leading and pulling that through for the customer. Um, and I think we're now in a position where we can do it. We can, we can really pull through that strategy at an individual level. I think that's maybe one of the reasons we haven't done it before is that uh, that's great if you have a customer strategist, but if you still only have three messages you can say to everyone um, and one or two channels to deliver it, well, then you don't need to invest in a channel strategy. Um, but now if we really want to get to that personalization at scale, 
we have AI and, and systems and that depth of data that Srihari just talked about where we can do so much more, but we're not gonna be able to do it unless we actually start building out those customer strategies. Yeah. You know, Carolyn, um, one of the things that, uh, you know, really strikes me about what you said is, you know, sometimes people can hear this and think, oh, okay, great, we can do that. But they're still thinking at the brand level. And I think what's so important about the customer strategist is they're at the customer level. That means across all of the products that we sell and all of the teams that touch that customer, um, they're you know, they're designing that strategy, they're designing that experience. And um, that's a big change from how we do that today. Because what what will end up happening in pharma otherwise is they'll have customer strategists in every BU um, or, you know, in, in uh, you know, for every brand or for every indication. Um, and that's something that we really need to move away from. It's, it's a great point, Amita, because I think the other conversation I've had with organizations that are strategically thinking about such a big change is this is not just a people and role thing. This is a big process change. This is recognizing that, you know, the street reports on brand, but we need to report on portfolio and customer lift um, in a different way internally and measure ourselves differently. So this is process. This is measurement. This is responsibilities in the matrix. And some organizations, depending on your portfolio, you know, the the line of sight might need to change um, because as, as Carolyn said, marketers today have a smaller line of sight, but the customer marketer really needs to be able to see the full picture, the full picture of all the levers that we are pulling on um, to, to really make a customer work. Like for example, right now, the marketers don't really pay attention to the access, right? They don't really pay attention to the sales in the same way other than providing the messaging. So you know, it's it is a it is a significant change. It requires breaking down silos and really um, being willing to disrupt processes that exist today. But you know, I think that one of the big changes this also is is right now we do we do brand strategy, and then we have marketing engagement planning that happens at the kind of the marketing ops level in many cases. Um, you know, and, and feeds directly into omnichannel. But one of the parts of our vision is actually saying, you know what, no, 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 the planning piece needs to actually come up earlier and be part of this marketing process with this new customer marketer. And Karthik, I know you're spending a lot of time thinking about the how we do that, right? Like what does planning look like? Yeah. How does it use AI and analytics? Tell us more. Yeah. So let's, let's say that we've got the context stream figured out where for every individual customer, we know what their needs are, what their beliefs are, what their preferences are. The goal is not to create 10,000 plants. A marketer humanly cannot create 10,000 plants. So then what are we trying to say? How do you leverage that context? So assume for a minute that from a product strategy perspective, there are specific behavioral shifts you're trying to make. We know all the customers that you're trying to move, and we know at an individual level what their barriers are. How do we actually take those barriers and say, the role of the marketer changes now from, if for segment one, let me put every single physician into who fits in that segment and create an average physician out of them and say, here are all the things I'm gonna do with segment one. Don't do that. Instead, try to think about it as, if I'm trying to create this behavioral shift, here are the eight to 10 barriers or needs I need to address. And then think about for each of those eight to 10 barriers or needs, what would I do? What action would I take? What message would I provide? Through which channel do I provide this message? That's the customer engagement planning we're talking about, right? So it's not about 10,000 plans. 
It's getting to the 10,000 plans by having the marketer set a policy. The policy is, if this is the need, do this. If the marketer changes their planning action to the policy setting approach, then the machine can take over and say, I know for which physician, which need matters. So the machine can now create these 10,000 plans that you can then execute on. So what we're really saying is, not only do we need to bifurcate the human, but we need the human to have a machine. But I, <laughs> I got I to ask the tough question. Are we saying segmentation is dead? 100% yes to segmentation and micro-segmentation. I like to think about it this way, um, because this is not an entirely new concept. This is something that happens in other industries. So the example I always use is, you know, think about Netflix. I would like to think that Netflix does not have a segment for me. There is not a segment that someone is sitting around making an annualized calendar plan against that's, you know, the Canadian woman from the Midwest um, who's over 40 and uh, and really likes animals, right? That, that's not a segment that Netflix is tracking. Um, what they're doing is they're saying, oh, hey, look, uh, Carolyn just watched a show about John Hamm. Great. Maybe she likes John Hamm. So let's serve up a few other choices of John Hamm content. Let's serve up Mad Men, for example, it looks like she hasn't watched that before. Um, and maybe I'll trigger on that. And, and they'll be like, great, let's just keep serving her John Hamm content. But they might say, but if I don't click on it, they'll, then the algorithm will say, well, maybe she didn't watch the morning show because of John Hamm. Maybe she watched the morning show because she likes smart dramas. So now let's serve up some smart dramas. And, and they, they serve it up in this very fluid, very contextualized way where they're also learning a little bit about me in the process. And I think that if we keep sort of sticking to that segmentation approach, it traps us from in a few ways. It traps us because we're not thinking about people as people, we're thinking about them as categories, but it also traps us in that we're not really learning about anyone in particular as well. I, um, I love that. I learned a little bit too much about you in that one, uh, Carolyn. <laughs> um, <but laughs> we we also don't think that Netflix is going to be tracking the Apple TV content that you're watching. It's on Apple TV. <laughs> I think you might have created a connection that doesn't exist. That's like a radical new connection altogether. <laughs> no, but, but you know, what's interesting is, Karthik, I mean, you've investigated this in our AI lab, right? The context of how has Netflix actually actually gotten to this point. I think they actually took multiple paths on their route to getting to what Carolyn described. Can you can you tell us more? Yeah, so it's an interesting thing. Netflix could have just said, okay, look, let me take all the movies, break down the movies into different product features, and then figure out which of these product features are going to resonate with Carolyn. They're not just using that. They're also asking Carolyn, hey, did you like this? What, what are you looking for? They are taking what they have as data, combining that with inputs from Carolyn as a first party person to say, what do you like? What do you not like? The combination of the two is what they're using to figure out what should I offer to Carolyn next that will best fit her needs. So it's not just about the product features. It's also about the customer and their needs. Going back to the same logic. We're at behavior changing, personalized customer engagement scale. That is the vision. We now know we need to get to context about people. 
In order to do that, we need to build a context stream and we need to be continuously moving on our data strategy based on what we do with them and what we can learn about them. We also realize that we have to change how we're basically strategizing and planning against customers by bifurcating marketing. We need a head chef. That head chef is going to be a customer marketer that does not exist in pharma today. And they are going to help us get to what we can truly do as an omni-channel type of deployment against customers, which we don't have today. We have silo deployment against customers today. So that so we have a customer marketer that's looking across every lever and saying, okay, here's what we have to do. Then we can actually do omni-channel in the right way. Now, what is going to stop us from doing this? What's going to stop us from doing this is really not understanding the role of the rep in this future and, and their value in this future. And Amita, this, you are so passionate about this. And I know you've been talking in the industry a lot about this concept of unbundle the rep. Everybody loves this concept. So talk to us about it. Yeah. Um, you know, I like to explain this concept with a kind of simple anecdote. You remember those old those old analyses that used to come out of sales ops around, oh, you know, it takes nine calls from a sales rep before the duck will write the first script. We've been thinking about that a lot. And it's, you know, maybe it's more like the doctor didn't believe there was an unmet need in the disease area. So the MSL had to do a lot of market shaping to convince that there was an unmet need, you know, and then maybe the doctor couldn't write the script because it wasn't in their order set. Uh, so the camp had to do a lot of work to ensure it got into the order set. Um, and then finally, when the doctor was ready for that competitive brand message where the context was right for that message, then she wrote the script. So it wasn't about the nine calls where the rep was just repeating themselves over and over and over. It was about the ninth call in the right context. Um, and that's a lot that you can save when you, you know, you put the rep only when you need them, um, when the context is ready. And our technology, like Trihari was saying, is actually making it possible now to know when the context is right. So you can send in the right resource or channel or message or tool at the right time. And you don't have to do it all with the rep. So that's what we mean by unbundle the rep. It doesn't mean that the rep doesn't add value. We actually believe the face-to-face -face pharma rep adds an enormous amount of value, but it's in the right context. Again, right? The value of a rep is not in sharing a message. It's in answering the questions in the moment that they get. And to the company, the value of the rep, it's not in what they say, it's in what they hear. So much sits in their heads and their trusted relationships. I think trust is a really important benefit that the rep provides, right? Um, but then when they leave the company to go to the competitor, right, you lose it all. Um, we did some research recently and doctors said that they preferred reps bring practice knowledge about them, their practice, twice as much as they preferred reps bring product knowledge. But 90% of rep training is about the product, right? There's just so much we can do as we think about unbundling the rep to focus on kind of the most value driving activities. I think it can be summarized best by we have to move the mindset from we must use the rep to use the rep when we must. Um, and, and if we can do that, we're going to get a lot of efficiency um, and a lot of effectiveness um, out of the current model. That's amazing, Namita. You know, I think that we have decades of unbundling to do, right? Because we've asked the rep to basically take on most activities as the first port of call. So in this concept of using the rep where we must, 
what have we learned are the things that we should unbundle away from them or that we should keep in their fold, uh, you know, in different contexts? Yeah, I mean, I think the things to keep in their fold is the knowledge about the customer, right? Uh, to know, you know, all that stuff that we talked about in Context Stream, that they have such textured information around their workflows, how they treat their patients, how they think about their patients, how they stratify their patients, um, you know, being able to answer questions, understand the patient burden, right? Those are the types of things that we've got to keep them on. But they don't need to do that by product. They can do that across the customer, Right. Um, so that's one real, real thing. And we can actually take away a lot of the clinical, um, you know, clinical messaging. Actually, one pharma company has moved away from that entirely. They've taken away that from the hiring profile of their rep, the kind of clinical selling uh, requirements, um, because they're realizing that this is the future. Um, you know, when you were talking earlier about the, um, you know, like who owns the customer, we did a breakout recently with a bunch of clients. And, you know, clients still said, well, I think the rep should own the customer. And I was like, great, which rep, right? We have so many reps for every product, right? And so we really have to think about, um, you know, this shift. Um, it's just infeasible and unrealistic for the rep to own this own this anymore, um, right? They can know a ton about them, but between omni-channel, between medical, um, you know, it's just, it's impossible for a human to do it, right? And so I really think that this is the, this is the future path. And no one person can bring the full weight of what an organization can to affect patient outcomes. It's really the entire organization bringing their might to the table. And that's and that's really where we can have impact on people's lives. And I know that's what everybody listening on the call is really about at the end of the day. You know, I think we talk about the unbundling of the rep because it is the most present part of the model today that if we don't unstick, we can't evolve to this future of tomorrow. It does not mean that embedded in our future vision uh, is not, you know, the medical, the role of medical and their transformation, the, how we have to, to balance our HCP focus with organized customers and other types of entities that are increasingly commanding more of our value and our pull through in terms of our products. Um, so, you know, we really have to be building an operating model that supports the balance of all these different and, and especially the patient. Because as we look towards the future, patient engagement is going to be more important than ever. And if we start moving towards these things, unbundling the rep, putting in place a head chef, deploying in a way that meets values to customer in context and learning along the way, really bringing that data, that sophisticated understanding back into our organization, democratizing it to all of our functions so they can operate differently, make better decisions. We can, in fact, achieve that future. Behavior changing, personalized customer engagement at scale. You know, where do we start? You know, people listening in are in different places in their organizations. They have different roles and different spheres of influence. Let's talk about what is one thing different parts of the organization can start doing right now. And Carolyn, I'll start with you. Sure. I think if I had to start somewhere from a marketing perspective, I see brand planning start stopping too soon. We stop at our strategic imperatives. And then we build a bunch of content, we toss it over the agencies, we toss it over to marketing ops. I would say the first thing to do is we need to start to build out what a good customer engagement strategy looks like and set in place the process, the templates, the engagement plans, so that we can help sort of bridge that gap that's missing today. And, and I think if organizations are bigger and bolder, 
they can go that next step, which is to actually split out the role of the what I would call a product strategist and a customer engagement strategist um, to make sure that that work is getting done you know, to those best in class standards to make it really effective. But I would start there. I, I would start by trying to solve for that gap of the customer engagement strategy. I would start by capturing field feedback and bringing that insight back into the organization. I mean, you don't even have to buy into this whole vision or convince your organization to buy into the whole whole vision. You know, if you could just start capturing what they know and AI is making that possible with natural language processing, you can easily and compliantly harness what your field knows and do something with it. So that's where I would start. I would start with the N equals one understanding, not just on what they use, what they do, but on what they believe, what they need, how to actually influence them. What do we need to do to influence them? That N equals one understanding, that's where I would start. I think I would start with trying to infuse AI into the current marketing and sales processes. I think we've all talked about this idea of how there is a cultural mindset shift that's required. But the one advantage of the technology revolution that we're going through now is that we can infuse signals and AI into marketing planning tools, content development tools, media tactics selection tools, even into the field CRM and the ability for AI to make some decisions about what's the right workflows and what's the right collaboration to enable. So you start to change the mindset, but you also start to change the process, which essentially drives that cultural change and accelerates it. I really appreciate the practicality um, and the tangibility of, of these these ideas. No matter what part, what function you're in today, there is a chance to pragmatically expand your aperture. You know, do one or two things differently that is building you towards better data, better context, more use of AI, um, and thinking towards what could that future look like without having to get your whole organization on board with the shift. Now, we do hope many organizations will actually get on board with this shift because at the end of the day, we've talked about a couple of, of practical roadmaps in context stream and reimagining marketing and unbundling the rep towards this vision. Um, but at the end of the day, what we really need to do is we do need to shift our organization to own the customer and to really operate around them, knowledge of them, so we can feed their journey uh, in supporting patients. So I want to thank all of you for joining me today. Um, this has been a really fun conversation. Thanks. Thank you, Maria. This was thank fun. You. Thanks, Maria. This has been another episode of Transforming Biopharma by ZS. You can find our articles, our webinars, and much more about our pharma commercial model at zs.com slash future model. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe and leave an iTunes review. I'll see you next time.